Uh, would you take the Word of God with me and uh, turn to the book of Exodus and uh, chapter 20. Uh, Exodus and uh, chapter 20. We have been uh, studying through the book of Exodus on uh, Sunday evenings, and we've been spending the last few, way, uh, few weeks specifically on Exodus chapter 20 and the Ten Commandments. Uh, we have uh, studied the first uh, two commandments. We'll be spending some time on the third commandment this evening, verse 7. Uh, but I want to be reminded before we study those commandments of a few things. Uh, first of all, when we study these commandments, they really declare uh, God's supremacy and authority. Uh, the fact that God says, Thou shalt not is the truth that we have to acknowledge that God has authority. And God has the right as God uh, to tell man how to conduct himself. We also noted that the commandments are based upon a relationship with God. He says, I am the Lord thy God. And who he is speaking to is those whom he has redeemed. We also noted that the commandments address both uh, the divine relationship and also human relationships. And really all societies today find their foundation for their morality in those commandments. Uh, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness. We also noted that those commandments are only truly fulfilled by love. Romans 13 says that love worketh no evil. And so on these two commandments, the Bible says, uh, Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two, the whole law hangs. We also noted, very important, that these commandments, although literal, must also include a broader, deeper, complete application. And it is, that's in this sense, that when we think about the Ten Commandments, we can look at those as literal, but there is a spirit intended behind them. In the sense that Jesus put it this way, while the commandment says, Thou shalt not kill, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, that if you hate your brother, you are really a murderer at heart. And so there is a spirit about that command. It's not just to be taken literally, it's to be understood spiritually. And we also noted that these commandments, although primarily negative, also communicate a positive virtue. The example very clearly of thou shalt not covet, which is the sin of covetousness, the opposite virtue is contentment. The Bible says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. And so we should not seek, the Christian life is not defined by what we do not do. It is defined by what we do do. And the contentment is a positive virtue that we should cultivate. We also noted that these commandments, although righteous, cannot impart righteousness nor take away sin. And this is very important. Romans chapter 3 verse 23 says that um, by the deeds of the law there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. So those things give us a knowledge of sin and what they, these commandments teach us in effect is we need a Savior. That's what these commandments teach us. That uh, we, we cannot keep those commandments perfectly and that we have not kept those commandments perfectly. But there is one who is perfect, Jesus Christ. 
who came on this earth. He lived a perfect, sinless life, and he died. The Bible says he became sin for us. He who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So these commandments cannot take away sin. Although they are the principles of right, the truths of righteousness, they cannot take away sin, nor can they impart righteousness. And so these commandments show us how desperately we need a Savior. And that's why Jesus came. And so we're grateful for that. Now, with those things in mind, we're going to look at the third commandment. And let me review the first two commandments. We talked about commandment number one, thou shalt have no other gods before me. And we made the point here that we're focusing here on the object of worship. Uh, We are to worship God exclusively. There is to be no other God. It cannot be God first and then another God and another God. It's God only. No other gods before me. And so God is to be the exclusive object of worship. Uh, He basically says, in effect, don't elevate other gods in my sight. And so it's God and Him alone. The second commandment, thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. Uh, the idea here is the, uh, we not only have the object of our worship, it's to be God and God alone, but now we have the manner of our worship. It's God is to be exalted. God, he says, is not to be depicted by any artist or sculptor or, or any, uh, there should not be an attempt on the part of man to bring God down to human level. Uh, And so what he means there is don't bring God down. The first one is don't bring other gods and make them equal to God. The second one is don't bring God down to human level. God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. So that's why we don't, when we gather together, we don't bow before a statue. We don't look at a crucifix and Uh, in our minds, try to picture that through this crucifix, somehow that we have power or somehow through that crucifix we can worship God. No, there is to be no graven image. It's directly us with God in communion. And so God is to be worshipped in spirit and truth. This third command, although the first one is the object of our worship, God exclusive. The second command is the manner of our worship, God exalted not brought down. The third one is the sincerity of worship, and that is God esteemed. Now, God, here is, let me summarize it, then we'll get into the study. God is not to be spoken of lightly. Uh, In other words, the idea here is, the first one is, don't elevate other gods. The second command is, don't bring God down. The third one is, don't make light of God. God is to be worshipped in, uh, I might summarize it this way, in sincerity and thoughtfulness. Sincerity and thoughtfulness. So let's stand together for the reading of God's Word this evening. We'll read verse 1 down to verse 7. Exodus chapter 20, verse 1. And the Word of God says, And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image, or any likeness of anything that is in the heaven above, 
or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth, thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I am the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Here's our verse tonight. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this evening for your word. As we study this third commandment, we ask that you would give us understanding, not just only of the letter of this commandment, but the spirit of this commandment. We pray that your spirit would give us understanding as we study your word together, uh, guide uh, my words and my thoughts, and may your word be delivered clearly and effectively this evening, that you may be honored and glorified. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. The commandment says, Thou shalt shall not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Now, we are concerned, as I mentioned, with addressing these commandments not just by the letter of the law, but also by the spirit of the law. When we talk about even being Christians, being saved, we think about Romans chapter 7, and we think about how the fact that in Christ we have been delivered from the bondage of sin and death. Uh, Romans 7, 7, that we are married now unto Christ, we have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and he says that we should serve not in the oldness of the letter, but in the newness of the Spirit. And so when we read about these commandments and we think about uh, God's standard of morality, we, we know that these things in and of themselves cannot make us righteous. Jesus Christ is the one who makes us righteous. But as we think about those commandments, it's important for us not just to understand uh, the letter of the law, but also to understand the spirit of the law. And so we begin with really uh, the more evident application of the letter of the law. Now, I think that if I would ask and do a survey this evening as to what would be your understanding of this third commandment, uh, this commandment really is repeated throughout uh, the book of Leviticus and the book of Deuteronomy, but someone might say something like this, that the meaning of this commandment is to condemn the use of God's name as a swear word. And no doubt that I would say that that is true we would refer to that as blasphemy. Now, no doubt that's a serious offense to God. Uh, there is that application that we can make. For example, Leviticus 19.12 said this, And ye shall not swear by my name falsely, neither shalt thou profane the name of thy God, I am the Lord. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 11, the Bible says, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Now, if we just think about the letter of that commandment, what would be the application, the letter of the law application that we would make? What are the consequences 
of breaking what or what were at the time the consequences of breaking this commandment in the letter. Turn with me to the Leviticus 24, the book of Leviticus and uh, chapter 24. Right after the book of Exodus, Leviticus, notice 24. Uh, let's uh, begin reading, notice in verse 11. Let's think here now, if you take that command, uh, literally there would be a, a, a clear letter of the law understanding and consequences for breaking that law. Notice Leviticus chapter 24 and verse 11. Well, go to verse 10. And the son of an Israelitish woman, whose father was an Egyptian, went out among the children of Israel, and this son of the Israelitish woman, and a man of Israel, strove together in the camp. And the Israelitish woman's son blasphemed the name of the Lord and cursed. And they brought unto him, uh, they brought him unto Moses, and his mother's name was Shilomith, the daughter of Derbri of the tribe of Dan. And they put him in ward, that the mind of the Lord might be showed them. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Bring forth him that hath cursed without the camp. And let all that heard him lay their hands upon his head, and let all the congregation stone him. And thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel, saying, Whosoever curseth his God shall bear his sin. And he that blasphemeth the name of the Lord, he shall surely be put to death. And all the congregation shall certainly stone him, as well as the stranger, as he that is born in the land, when he blasphemeth the name of the Lord, shall he be put to death. Now that seems to be a very serious command, doesn't it? That if this command is to be broken by in its letter. Uh, here, the son of the Israelitish woman, uh, not just um, spoke the name of God, but cursed the name of God. And the offense, when they came together, was stoning. It was death. And all of the ones, which was typical at that time, that those who were the witnesses of the law being broken would be the ones that would cast the first stone. And then the entire congregation, after the witnesses cast the first stone, the entire congregation would join in, they would take the stones, and they would cast the stones upon uh, this man. Now, when we think about those things, it's important for us to realize that this is the nation of Israel under a theocracy. They are directly under the rule of God. Moses is the leader. And we understand that when we come to the New Testament, when we talk about the fact that we are not under the law, means that we're not under the Mosaic law and its consequences, earthly consequences. You remember when uh, the Jews brought a woman who was caught in the act of adultery. They brought her to Jesus and they said, Well, Moses said that she should be stoned. What do you say? And Jesus, remember what he said? He said, He that is without sin, let him cast the first stone. He did not make light of sin. But he is bringing in, if you would, something new in the sense that now uh, you're no longer going to operate under a theocracy. He came to start the church says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And so he says to those religious people, I know what the law of Moses says, uh, but he that is without sin, let him cast the first stone. And the Bible says they all laughed from the oldest to the youngest. Why? Because they were convicted by their own conscience. They recognized that they were all sinners. They were all. 
all guilty of violating the law of God. And so we understand here that if you take the letter of the law in Israel at that time as a nation under God, that the consequences of breaking the letter of that commandment would be death. Now, it is true that the meaning of this commandment condemns the use of God's name as a swear word, which we uh, may properly call blasphemy. However, this commandment goes further. We are interested not just in the letter of the commandment, but in the spirit of the commandment. Now, what is the spirit of the commandment? How should we understand when we come to the third commandment, the spirit of the law? Well, let's look at the commandment, Exodus 20, verse 7. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. So let's break this apart. The Bible says, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Uh, the word take, and here is uh, where we come to the application. The word take here literally means to lift up. So that means that the word take means that there is a very broad application. It doesn't mean to take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. does not mean just to use it as a curse word, although that is included. It means to lift up the name of God in any way. This is a general word with a wide application. And so it can be applied to the use of God's name, for example, first of all, in a blasphemous manner. That does apply to that. It, the commandment can be applied to really everyday discourse. When we lift up our voice and we utter the name of the Lord. But I think we could also say it can also be applied to the lifting up of God's name in any religious activity. When we think about that word, we also find that that word is used, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. That word signifies that that word take lifted up, that people would lift up the name of God in Bible reading, that people would lift up the name of God in prayer. And so the word itself means that any time we speak the name of God in vain, and so it could be blasphemously, it could be in our everyday discourse, but it could also be in our religious observations. He says, in effect, do not lift up the name of God in a vain manner in any way. So we could say, do not lift up the name of God when, in, in a vain way when you are speaking to anyone, when you are involved in religious activity, or in the case of, uh, we find the Israelite woman's son, he was striving with an Israelite, and he was obviously angry, and he cursed the name of God. Now, do we not take... Or lift up the name of God when we pray? Of course we do. Do we not lift up God's name when we open the hymnal and we sing? We lift up the name of God, do we not? Do we not lift up God's name when we read the scriptures? We just read it just a moment ago. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. That is His name. 
So please note here, in combination to that, to whom this commandment is addressed. Uh, we have the assumption here of the first two commandments. The first command, remember, was, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Uh, only one God. Uh, thou shalt not make of thee any graven image. No idols. And when we read verse 2 of this uh, chapter, the Bible says, I am the Lord thy God. So who, who here in this commandment is directly being instructed? Now the primary application is the children of Israel. I am the Lord thy God. In this very commandment, the third command, verse 7 says, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord, notice, thy God, in vain. So, clearly, those who are being addressed are the people of God. They're not the heathen. Do we understand that? We might say, well, the heathen are going to curse the name of God, and certainly we could say that's true. But he's not talking to the heathen. Uh, the, this commandment is not directly applied to the heathen nations. It was to be primarily applied to the children of Israel. And so if the application is to be limited only to those who use the name of God as a swear word, most of them will be fine. But remember that we are concerned with the spirit of the law. He says, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Well, how do we do that? Well, before we go into the, the, the application of what does it mean to take God's name in vain, notice the verse says, Thou shalt not take, that means lift up, and we, the, the application is very broad, in any manner. The name of the Lord. Now, why would God say that? This is about, what, what is this commandment about? It's about this. It's about the name of the Lord, obviously. This is what God wants us to focus on. What is this commandment all about? Well, obviously, it's about the importance of the name of the Lord. You see, the Lord is letting us know that He is very concerned about His name. And especially in this commandment, in the way His name is used. Now, that name, Lord, if, if you have your Bibles this evening, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. You will notice, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Um, your Bible should have all capitalized Lord. L-O-R-D, capitalized. We saw that in verse 2. I am the Lord thy God, all capitalized. Verse 5, I the Lord thy God, all capitalized. Again now in verse 7, twice in verse 7, uh, the name of the Lord. So the name of the Lord comes from the Hebrew word Jehovah. We are familiar with Jehovah. Some of you, uh, tonight we talked about some of the names of the Lord, and you said Jehovah Jireh, and Jehovah Nisi, and all those things. And so the word Lord, all capitalized, comes from the Hebrew word Jehovah. Now, that word is very important. Here, notice, God has many names, does He not? He, he has many names by which He is known by, and we've made reference to them, uh, to, to those names tonight. And we could go on and on if we study the Scriptures and make note of the names of God. We'd be there for a long time. But here there's a specific name that He does not want us to take in vain. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. 
What does the word Jehovah mean? Or Lord, all capitalized. Well, if we could boil it down to three things, I would put it this way. That first of all, the name Lord is means that He is the self-existent one. He is the self-existent one. We, we can go back to Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. When God revealed Himself to Moses, you remember what He said to Moses? He says this, God said unto Moses, I am that I am. Well, what, what kind of title is that? Well, it comes from a verb that means to be and to exist. Uh, so the Lord is basically by that title, Jehovah, Lord, I am that I am. The Lord is the self-existent one, which means that He does not derive His being nor His power from anyone or anything. Sometimes you'll hear the question that comes up when people debate the existence of God and they'll say, well, you answer this question to me. Who created God? Well, that's a, that's a strange question. There is no such thing as who created God because God is the only one who is self-existent. He is the only one who is dependent on no one. We are dependent on God. The creation is dependent on God, but God is dependent on no one. He is the self-existent one. He does not depend on anybody's power or on anybody's being. God is the only self-existent being. He is the creator of all things. He has always existed and He will always exist. He will never cease to exist. And so we must have that truth in mind when we use the name of the Lord. He is dependent on no one. He is the only one. He is the only one who is self-existent. Now, sometimes we may think of ourselves as invincible. But it doesn't take too much in this world for things to happen to recognize that we are indeed not invincible. But God is. So the Lord is the self-existent one, but also included in this word is the idea that the Lord is the source of all things. Think about it. If He is the self-existent one and He is dependent on no one and nothing, that means that everything that we enjoy is dependent on Him. And so the Lord is the source of all things. Since God is the self-existent one, and since He is the only one who is dependent on nothing and no one, we come to understand that God is the source and the sustainer of all things. The Bible tells us in the book of Colossians 1, chapter 1, verse 17, and He is before all things, and by Him, the Bible says, all things consist. All things consist. It's quite amazing as you think about uh, all of creation and the wonders of creation. You could think about even the galaxy and the solar system. And it's quite amazing when you think about it that the, the sun is the exact distance from the earth that if it was 10 degrees closer or 10 degrees further, too far it would be too cold to live on, too close it would be too hot to live on. The moon influences the tides of the earth. And so if the moon was uh, too close, that the tides would be too strong, that nobody could live on the earth. We think about the laws of nature such as the law of gravity. 
And we may talk about gravity, although we don't see it. We know its power. We know its influence. We can say what it does, but we have no idea what power enables it. God created all things, but also all things consist by Him. So that means that not only is He the self-existent one, but that means everything else is dependent on Him. And so as such, the Lord is, we might see the Lord Jehovah as not just the self-existent one, but we also might see Him as the provider, and maybe more specifically as our Father. We come to understand that the Lord is our Heavenly Father. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. So the idea of Jehovah means that the Lord is the self-existent one. He is the source of all things. But also we come to understand that the Lord, it means that He is the sovereign over all. You see, the name Lord emphasizes the authority He ought to hold in our minds and in our hearts. Because the Lord is self-existent. And because the Lord is the source of all things, we come to understand that the Lord then has absolute authority over all of creation. Now think about those things. I am the Lord, thy God. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord, the self-existent one, the source of all things, the sovereign of all creation, you will not take His name in vain. Now, what does it mean to take His name in vain? The Bible says, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Now, the expression here, in vain, means this. It means uh, wasted, uh, desolate, empty, and futile. Uh, actually, the word uh, in its original use at the time when it was first written uh, had a, a picture that accompanies that word. Uh, the picture was that of a storm that comes across a land and leaves the land completely desolate and barren. So uh, it is to take, if you think about it in your mind, if you take a beautiful land, if you take a fruitful land, if you take a pleasant land, and after the storm comes, that land has been robbed of its beauty its fruit has been wasted or lost, and what was once pleasant is no longer pleasant. And we have a little vision of that in Egypt. Do we not? Egypt was a beautiful country. It was prosperous. It was fruitful. It was beautiful because of, uh, in part, the Nile and how the Nile would overflowed, uh, overflow and uh, just water the entire land. It, Egypt was a beautiful land. But when God sent the ten plagues, uh, Egypt became a wasted and a barren land. It became, we might use the word, vain. It became desolate. It became wasted. It became empty. It became futile. That's how the word uh, was used at the time. And so when we think about the name of God, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Now, the name of God is a beautiful name. The name of God is a 
pleasant name. If we take the name of God in vain, that means that we are robbing God of the beauty that is due to His name. You see, words spoken in vain, uh, the idea here, have, they have no positive thought in them. If you think about just not not just necessarily the just the name of God, but if we speak vain words, I, you know, we have six children, and sometimes they're conversing about a lot of things, and sometimes I just have to step in and say, "You all just need to stop talking." Why? Because they say a bunch of things, and it really doesn't matter. They argue about everything, about who eats their food quicker, and about uh, who's better at this, and who's better, and they're always comparing themselves with themselves. And I say, all of this is just vain words. How about we change the conversation, and how about you say something positive about your sister and how wonderful she is, and you say something positive about your brother, and so on. Let's change the conversation. Why? Because sometimes word are spoken, and we have one of, the, of our children, he, he loves to be the storyteller. He loves to, and you can tell that as he tells the story, he's making things up in his mind. And he goes to all kinds of different places, and sometimes I just have to say, are you lying? embellishing the truth. I might also say you're speaking some vain words. You see, words spoken in vain have no positive thought in them. We might say they have no thought in them. No thought in them. These are words spoken without any regard, without understanding, without purpose, without benefit, or we might also say, without intelligence. The command says, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. We're not talking about everyday conversation. We're saying when we speak the name of God, we should not speak the name of God without regard for God. We should not speak the name of God without understanding at the name of God. We should not speak the name of God without a specific purpose as to bringing up the name of God. We should not speak the name of God without any benefit. We should not speak the name of God without intelligence. And so when we think about the Scriptures in the application, this goes far deeper than just not using the name of God as a curse word. You remember what Jesus said? He said in Matthew chapter 15 verse 8, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. What is that? I, we might call that hypocrisy. He's talking to the religious authorities of his day, and he's saying, you're saying a lot of things about God. You, you, you seem to honor the Lord with your lips. Hey, but your heart is far removed from God. There is an outward conformity of religion, but in fact what's happening is you're taking the name of God in vain. Your mouth says one thing, and your heart is somewhere else. That's taking the name of God in vain. You use the name of God in a way that makes you look good in front of the crowd. These scribes and these Pharisees, they love to pray standing up in the synagogue. They love to look more spiritual than everybody else. They love to impress people. They had a saying in that day, if anybody's going to heaven, the Pharisees are. 
And they loved that people had that opinion about them. Hypocrites. Their life can be described as this. Taking the name of the Lord in vain. Their mouth said one thing. Their heart was far removed from what their mouth was saying. We might also think of not just hypocrisy would be taking the name of God in vain. And let me just bring it here to the church because the Bible says judgment must begin at the house of the Lord. How many of us may come to church and we may speak of the name of the Lord and we may come and we may even sing in the congregational sing. We may even stand behind this pulpit and we may sing the name of God, but our hearts are far from God. And can I say as... Um, as carefully as I can, that I can stand behind this pulpit and preach the name of God and utter the name of God again and again and again, but my heart be so far removed from God. And that would be taking the name of God in vain. That would be hypocrisy. You see, when we come to worship the Lord, we don't want to be careless and thoughtless when it comes to speaking the name of God. We might also think of not just hypocrisy, but we might also think of worldliness. Uh, turn with me to the book of Ezekiel, in Ezekiel in chapter 33. This is all uh, making application here. Ezekiel chapter uh, 33. <clears throat> Notice with me verse 31. Ezekiel 33, 31, the Bible says, And they come unto thee as the people cometh, and they sit before thee as my people, and they hear thy words, but they will not do them. For with their mouth they show much love, but their heart goeth after their covetousness. Their mouth... It seems that their mouth are showing a lot of love from their mouth. We love the Lord. He says, but their heart are following after covetousness. Here's what he's saying. They, an application for today. They come to church and they talk about how they love Jesus, but in their mind, they are in their hearts, they are full of covetousness. While they're even singing about God, their mind is, is to, how can I improve myself? How can I make the next buck? How can I become rich? And their mind is filled with covetousness, even as they name the name of God. They are taking the name of God in vain. We can think not just of hypocrisy, of worldliness, but we might also think of just disobedience. Uh, Jesus said in Luke 6, 46, And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Notice the words. He says, You call me Lord, Lord. You say I am the self-existent one. You say that all things depend on me. Uh, you say all of those things about me, but you don't do what I say. Oh, Lord, Lord. Jesus says, if you disobey me, if you disobey me, and you come and you say, Lord, you're taking His name in vain. 
How can you say, oh Lord, you're my Lord, you're my Lord. Your, your mouth says you have authority over me. I will submit myself to you. I recognize that everything that I have from you, but then you disobey God over and over and over again. You are taking His name in vain. The mouth that utters, oh I love the Lord, I just don't want to obey Him. Then you do not love the Lord. Your actions have already manifested the truth about what you think of the Lord. And you may use His name from your mouth and call Him your Lord, but He is far removed from you. And your disobedience is the evidence of that. We might think of hypocrisy, of worldliness, of disobedience. We might all even think about, and maybe in a lesser extent, about our troubled thoughts. Uh, turn with me to the book of Philippians in chapter 4. In the New Testament, Philippians chapter 4. In this letter to the believers at Philippi, he is trying to encourage them. He himself is in prison. He's trying to encourage them in the work of the Lord. And he says this in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Verse 6, Be careful for nothing. The word careful means to be full of care. We might... Describe it as being anxious. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God which passeth all understanding, notice, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, Whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. Amen. Who is the Lord? He is the God of peace. And here's what we, we can come to church and we can sing together as a congregation, but inside we are all tore up. We, our thoughts are thinking about all the cares, and we are anxious about so many things that we say the name of God when we sing, and we read the name of God in the Word, but our thoughts are somewhere else. We are consumed with something else. And we honor the name of God, and our thoughts are not with God. We say, oh, I trust the Lord, but our thoughts are not trusting Him. We say, oh, I'm praising God, but inside we say, there's nothing worthy of praise in my life. And we take the name of God in vain. We might say hypocrisy, worldliness, disobedience, troubled thoughts. We might even say, uh, maybe an application with regards to the church, we might even say false doctrine. Uh, turn with me uh, to the book of Matthew. Uh, Jesus here is teaching here about worship in Matthew chapter 15. Notice with me Matthew chapter 15. <clears throat> Notice with me verse 9. Notice he said already in verse 7, Ye hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Notice verse 9 of Matthew 15. But in vain... They do worship me, here it is, 
teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. You see that? In vain they worship me. How can somebody worship God in vain when they teach the doctrines of men? Well, the application here is far and wide as it pertains to the church. Why do churches no longer have any regard for the Word of God? Why do churches now make their meetings all about everything else unmanageable, every activity imaginable in a meeting, and they pay, pay very little attention to the actual Word of God? They worship God, but they worship God in vain. Why? Because they teach some other doctrine. Let me close with a statement that I read that I thought would make proper application to this truth. He says, a, Peter Master says, a minister who lacks any sense of obligation to operate strictly by the word in his method of church growth also empties the name of God of its meaning. For the Lord is no longer the sole source of power and His word is no longer the exclusive blueprint for His methods. By adopting the gimmicks and the ideas of men, and doing whatever he thinks is fit. He cannot sincerely say, Lord, for he is not listening to him or obeying him. He feels that rock bands will make his work success successful. He goes ahead with consulting, uh, he, he goes ahead without consulting the supreme governor of the church, whose name is the Lord. He then adds insult to injury by praying to the Lord. He is not interested in working under His authority. The Word of God is emptied of its meaning. Such a preacher may never use God's name as a swear word, but in wresting from God His right to govern His church according to His wishes, he has mentioned God's name lightly, and so he has breached God's law. You see, when we think about a church, if we speak the name of God, and he says, but if you do not do the things which I say, or you may utter my words, but your heart is far removed from him, what is the greatest evidence? What is the greatest evidence? I say to us today in the age of the church, what is the greatest evidence that God is the Lord and that his name is proclaimed in the church? You will find a people who are completely committed and submitted to the authority of His Word. His Word. So I ask us this evening, have we taken the name of the Lord, our God, in vain? Now, Millie, let me just encourage you because I'm preaching a message like this and there's a sense to where if the Holy Spirit does a work that we may all feel guilty. <clears throat> At least I, I think that is what ought to happen because when I was studying, I was feeling guilty about how many times I came to church and sung the songs and my thoughts were not drawn toward God at all. Come to church, you run through the motions. How many times? stand behind this pulpit and even preach the name of God from my lips. But my mind or my heart is somewhere else. 
It could be that I'm being disobedient to the Lord. It could be that uh, I'm troubled by something. It could be that uh, there is hypocrisy in my life. Whatever it is, all of those things can be part of us when we remember to lift up the name of God is a very general word. To take His name in vain is to utter the name of God in a thoughtless, thoughtless manner. You see, when we worship God, remember, he says we worship God in spirit and in what? Truth. Here's what needs to happen. If we're not going to violate the third commandment, and if we're going to work at pleasing the Lord, when we come to worship God, the truth about God must be in our minds. Well, how do we know the truth about God? It's right here. We don't have to make up a God of our own imagination. It's the God of the Bible. We worship Him in spirit and in truth. And so what we have to do is, I know, I know as much as you do what human nature does. It comes and, and we involved in a religious activity. It could be praying. It could be reading the scriptures. It could be singing. And our minds are somewhere else. It's human nature. It happens. Now what we have to do is we have to identify this. Oh Lord, help me. My mind is straying. And I want to be brought back to the truth of who you are when I utter your name. And so may the Lord help us to think about that command. And by the way, when you think about not just the letter of the law, but the spirit of the law, (laughs) there is no way that we can say that I have not violated that command. There's no way we can say I'm righteous. I've earned heaven. The only thing we can say is I desperately need a Savior. And that's what Jesus Christ came to do. He died on the cross to pay for our sin debt. And by the way, Jesus Christ was perfect. And He never, never once took the name of His Father in vain. Not in action. Every time He uttered the name of His Father, His heart and His mind was exactly where it needed to be. And He fulfilled the law of God perfectly. And He is our mediator between God and man. And all that we can do is claim His righteousness by faith. And He gives it to us. What a wonderful thing. But now that we have been delivered from the bondage of sin and death, as Christians, we think about the spirit of the law. And oh, may our yearning be, may I never take the name of God in vain.